Welcome to Pet Will Radio, a unique show about amazing animals and inspirational people. With your host, author, animal advocate, and attorney, Peggy Hoyt. Hello, animal lovers. You are listening to All My Children Wear Fur Coats on Pet Will Radio. This show is brought to you by the law offices of Hoyt & Bryan and MyPetWill.com. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt. It's my pleasure to be with you. Every time we get together, we talk about ways that we can create lasting legacies for our pets, and we explore various animal topics with professionals who work in the animal industry. If you have any questions or comments, during the show, you can chat with us live at mixlr.com forward slash petwill, or you can join us on Facebook at All My Children Wear Fur Coats. Today, I'd like to welcome our special guest, Sherry Schluter. And uh, Sherry is a recent past executive director um, for the South Florida Wildlife Center, which is an affiliate organization of the Humane Society of the United States. Um, Sherry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Peggy. I'm so happy to be with you and to be with listeners that are so pet friendly. Well, um, that is one of the things that makes um, our show unique is that we do um, talk to people who are like you and I that love animals and maybe have spent their whole lives um, being animal advocates, as I know you have. So, um, Sherry, just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in animal advocacy, even as a young person. Well, I always felt passionately about uh, protection of anyone who seemed to have little power or voice or choice. And uh, I was not a quiet child when I would notice people mistreating animals or being unkind or teasing animals. I can even remember as as a pretty young kid throwing my playmates off the property when they would want to stomp on the ants, you know, or even hurt bugs. So it was just an inherent um, concern and, and high degree of empathy for animals that got me started. Uh, as you're aware, I had a very long career in uh, law enforcement in the past. Uh, I started as a barely out of my teens as a uh, circuit court-appointed investigative agent for the Humane Society of Broward County in the Fort Lauderdale, Florida area, and uh, did that for about six and a half years, but I found that when I was investigating animal cruelty and animal neglect uh, cases for the Humane Society um, and enjoying limited arrest powers at that time under Florida state law, um, that uh, when I would call cops to my crime scenes for a report by uh, a law enforcement professional, the officers would know little or nothing about laws to protect animals from intentional harm. And it was funny, Peggy, I would find myself coaching the cops about what to write in the reports. And it occurred to me after a few years, why don't I just become one? And uh, so that is what I did. I approached then Sheriff Robert Butterworth, whom your listeners will remember is also the former attorney general of the state of Florida. He had a 16-year run as Attorney General, but before that, uh, he was Sheriff of Broward County, as well as, of course, a prosecutor in Broward County, and 
he ran uh, the Department of Children and Family Services. He uh, was part of the Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles. So he had a long career too, but he saw the value in hiring someone with experience to investigate these crimes, which I give him a lot of credit for doing. And so I was able to go into the police academy and uh, become a a deputy sheriff for Broward County Sheriff's Office. And um, I worked a couple of years road patrol in uniform to sort of pay my dues, even though I'd been an investigator for you know, a while already prior to that. But I think it was a smart move and, and uh, helped the other officers to accept uh, women into their ranks because there weren't very many of us at that time. You know, I worked for the Maine Society of Broward from about 1973 to 1979 and then went into the police academy coming out in early 1980. There weren't a lot of uh, women in law enforcement at that time, and many of them were assigned. Uh, to handle juvenile offenses or uh, other kinds of things and weren't really welcome yet into the road patrol ranks. So I'm glad I did that. But uh, I would usually work uh, a midnight shift in uniform and then come home, catch a couple hours of sleep and go back out in plain clothes with the sheriff's permission and work another eight hours unpaid on my own time to continue working the crimes against animals until I was able to start the Animal Cruelty Investigation Unit uh, in 1982. And that was a first. Uh, I was the first person to ever become a law enforcement professional with the exclusive um, goal of working animal abuse and neglect crimes. And the creation of the Animal Cruelty Unit was a first as well. Wow. So you really are the original animal cop. Yes, I I am. I never thought about it that way until a few years ago when people started mentioning that because, of course, nowadays you see, um, you know, cable television programs featuring investigators from SPCAs and the like. Um, But uh, when I was doing this work as a humane officer in the 70s and then as a law enforcement professional in the, you know, beginning in 1980, um, officially, it, it just hadn't been done before. And most cops and most of the community, and I have to say most prosecutors and many members of the judiciary were unfamiliar with the laws on Florida's books to protect animals. And uh, that's something I just want to assure your listeners about. Um, people often worry and, and fret over lack of protective laws for animals But I have to tell you, uh, we have some really wonderful state statutes in Florida. We had some at the time I became an investigator, and um, I um, am proud to say I I had uh, something to do with the creation of the felony animal cruelty statute, the aggravated animal abuse statute that became law in 1989. And uh, that and many other laws since uh, on our books make us a tough state uh, for the protection of animals. It's just uh, unfortunate that many law enforcement professionals and many law enforcement agencies don't recognize their obligation to protect animals with the same seriousness and vigor uh, that that they might uh, protect humans. 
Well, and, and do you feel like the reason for that is that there just aren't enough resources to go around or that there just still isn't enough awareness about the existence of laws to protect animals? I think the awareness has improved uh, over the many decades. Uh, I know throughout my long career, um, we were raising awareness by uh, teaching at law, law enforcement academies and going across uh, this great nation of ours, teaching other law enforcement officers and even doing some international training of law enforcement professionals, as well as judges and prosecutors. Uh, I think the issue is not so much awareness now about protective laws in place, but again, perhaps a lack of will, a lack of, of considering these crimes to be any kind of priority. And what I used to always try to remind law enforcement professionals about was that any crime in progress should be a priority. And any crime in which your victim has no choice, no voice, no power, no ability to leave the abuser, uh, these should be priorities, whether your victim is two-legged, four-legged, and has fur, fin, or feathers. It, it really shouldn't matter. This is a victim uh, for whom someone else must act because this victim has had his or her power taken away. And, you know, I find that to be very true, not only of many human victims, but animal victims. You know, people often used to say to me, oh, Lieutenant Schluter, I really loved um, the work you did on behalf of um, helpless animals. And I would appreciate the sentiment, but I would always be a little rankled at the idea that animals are helpless. They self-direct their lives beautifully if left unfettered by human intervention. Unfortunately, human beings take away their voice, their choice, and their power and uh, take, take away their very protection sometimes uh, and often and forgive me if this word is too strong, but enslave them in pursuit of human goals and take away animals' abilities to protect themselves and to self-direct their own lives. And this happens to human victims as well. Uh, many, many victims of domestic abuse and child abuse and sexual abuse um, just don't have the power anymore because it's been taken from them. And if we can help people to understand those things and to reach out with interventions early on, we could save a lot of people and animals from becoming victims in the first place. I think you put that very, very well, and perhaps in a way that people may not have thought about that before. Um, I like the way that you said that any crime in progress where the victim has no power needs to be a priority. Well, I thank you. I, I I'm not surprised that you would see it the same way because you uh, you are a great uh, protector and advocate of animals and come from a, a line of that kind of thinking. And and the reality, you know, for uh, animals is that when they're being physically abused or when they're being neglected in any profound way, that is a life and death situation. And for law enforcement officers to perceive that as, well, it's just an animal, uh, I take, you know, a personal affront to that, and it really raises my ire because 
the the issue is whether a victim is capable of suffering. And I think that where humans go wrong is that they fail to recognize the degree to which animals other than humans suffer, that they suffer psychologically and emotionally as well as physically, and that their lives matter to them. And we forget those things and we view animals as property, which unfortunately in the state of Florida, they are still considered. But um, that's, that is a status that women and children um, have suffered under for eons as well. And we need to remember that these, these creatures, through no fault of their own, fall into the hands of those who would harm them for entertainment, for sadistic pleasure, uh, for their own gain. And because they lack the ability to recognize the suffering in creatures other than perhaps their own species. And they're making a grave, grave error. Well, and likely um, there may be consequences um, far beyond their understanding for that kind of behavior. I mean, I guess that's all we can hope for. Well, indeed. And I think that, that, What's really important about recognizing consequences is that um, for a long while now, we've understood that violence is cyclical and generational in nature. So, you know, in a family setting, if you have uh, a batterer in the home, whether the victim is initially an animal or a child or the spouse or partner of the batterer, the children in the home who are witnessing the violence or perhaps being subjected to the violence are learning violence. And um, male children, if the batterer is a male, will often learn from that role model, the male role model, to become a batterer and to not respect others. And that's certainly true. Um, often female children who are witnessing the female parent as a victim of domestic abuse will then learn, you know, victim mentality. And so this becomes this never-ending cycle of violence, generation after generation. And it may surprise your listeners to know that the first victim of family violence is often the family pet. And that is because, of course, the batterer is looking for a tool to control the human members of the family. Uh-huh. And that is done by threatening to harm, harming, or sometimes even killing the family pet as a way to coerce uh, or control uh, others in the family. And this happens in sexual abuse against children. It happens in domestic violence, partner on partner. Uh, It happens in elder abuse and elder financial exploitation situations. You know, Grandma, if you don't quit deed your apartment over to me, I'm going to kill Fluffy. I mean, people, and I'm I'm sure I'll offend people by saying this, but human beings can be monsters in their own homes, you know, terrifying and traumatizing those that they are supposed to love and protect. Right. And the victim in the family with the least power is usually, you know, the animal that doesn't speak our language and cannot report, cannot testify and cannot leave voluntarily. Many human victims 
can do none of those things as well. Uh, that is so true. And, um, and we have learned through um, the decades that animal abuse often is the first um, indicator of future violence or even uh, serial behavior in the future. It's absolutely unquestionable. You know, we had a lot of anecdotal evidence really existing for hundreds and hundreds of years, which many smart people paid attention to hundreds and hundreds of years ago, recognizing that correlation. But we really didn't have empirical data until more recently with the studies that have proven time and time again that most perpetrators of violence were themselves either victims or witnesses of violence, sometimes both, of course, and that without intervention early on, this will perpetuate itself either as uh, a future um, uh, perpetrator of violence or a future victim of violence. And we just need to break this terrible cycle of violence by recognizing the correlation between animal cruelty and human interpersonal violence because animals, as I mentioned earlier, are often the very first victim. Um, many people, um, many neighbors will know about uh, a, a woman, you know, being screamed at and things being thrown against walls and, and they hear this, but they don't interfere because they figure she's an adult. She, if she wanted to get herself out of it, she would. And they don't realize this woman is a prisoner in her home and may not have the means by which to help herself, either psychologically or physically, because the batterer controls so much. Um, I have found that very often people will be more inclined to report animal abuse or animal neglect than they might a crime against a human for those reasons, thinking that people have a say, people have a choice. And sometimes people do, but many people don't. But animals never do. And if they try to defend themselves by snarling or snapping or biting or scratching, they will often pay with their lives because the batterer will see this as the audacity of this stupid dog or stupid cat to defy me. I'll show you. And, and it's quite horrific. So, you know, the good news is that many times people will report crimes against animals uh, because they recognize that animals can't get out of this on their own. Um, what we need to do is make sure that people are reporting animal abuse and neglect quickly and to people who are listening and that if they suspect the same kinds of behaviors happening to humans in the home, that they report those as well. I'm not sure how much time we have in this first segment, but um, I'd be happy to provide some information to your listeners about how and when to do that and how to be successful as we go on with the show. Well, and I think that would be very valuable information, and, and I appreciate the offer um, for you to provide that information because that was actually going to be one of my next questions. So as we go on, I just want to remind our listeners that you are listening to All My Children Wear Fur Coats on Petwell Radio, and this show is brought to you by the law offices of Hoyt and & Bryan and MyPetWill.com. Today we're talking with Sherry Schluter. She is 
one of the original uh, law enforcement officers in the animal cruelty area, um, as some might refer to her, her as one of the original animal cops. And uh, Sherry, you've been talking to us about the um, correlation between animal cruelty and um, domestic violence and other um, crimes of violence. And I think it is important for our listeners to know if they are observing any of this kind of animal cruelty or domestic violence, um, what is the best way for them to reach out to law enforcement and uh, what's the appropriate agency to go to? Uh, Peggy, I do want to let your listeners know if they haven't already guessed that in my long career in professional law enforcement, I did over the years rise in rank and uh, over time, I began pulling in investigative units that I felt um, were connected directly uh, to the same kinds of behaviors as crimes against animals. So over the years, I, I began to pull in child abuse and neglect and elder abuse, neglect and financial exploitation and other crimes against persons with disabilities or who are suffering from the infirmities of aging. Uh, in addition, you know, in 2000, I created the Special Victims and Family Crime Section at the Broward Sheriff's Office, and that included not only those units I just mentioned, but uh, domestic violence and sex crimes and victim services and missing persons, as well as the crimes against animals, children, uh, the disabled, and the elderly. And so I have a great deal of experience in that, and, and I created that section because it's all interconnected. The same kinds of people who would abuse animals, would abuse children, would abuse partners or spouses, their elders or persons suffering from infirmities or disabilities. So one of the things I think is important for listeners to know is that many law enforcement agencies, as I mentioned in the beginning, are not up to speed on animal cruelty and don't view this as their purview. They would try to refer callers to a humane society or an animal control facility or an SPCA. And if you have a good one in your community, certainly report there. But any crime in progress, a beating in progress, an animal that's being strangled, an animal that's dying of neglect or is left in a hot car or is choking at the end of a, a leash or uh, being used in animal baiting and fighting operations or the like, those need to go immediately to law enforcement so that a road patrol officer can be sent. Road patrol response should be minutes, whereas a humane officer or animal control officer may not even respond for days, depending on the backlog. Unfortunately, when the law enforcement road patrol officer gets on scene, he or she may not be well acquainted, may not recognize what he or she is seeing. But at least you've got a uniform on scene with the power to stop the crime, to confiscate the animal victims, and to take bad people into custody. So the trick to trying to uh, get response when there is indifference or a lack of awareness about uh, one's responsibility for these kinds of crimes is to ask to meet with the officer. And I understand that many witnesses, particularly of violent acts against animals, are unwilling to become involved out of fear of retaliation. And I get that and I respect it. 
but sometimes you can you can ask the officer to meet um, at a at a Seven Eleven uh, a couple blocks away or or someplace a couple streets over where the the uniformed vehicle would not be seen by the bad guys. Um, but the importance of trying to meet with the officer is so that the complainant can explain the concerns to the officer. Now, if it's a crime in progress, some you know aggravated situation, there won't be time for that. But if it is, for example, an ongoing neglect situation or a situation where the complainant knows that at five o'clock every afternoon, the husband comes home, knocks a few beers back, and then goes out and abuses the dog in the backyard, that's something that can be explained to an officer, and the officer can then um, arrange for some surveillance or set up on that house, him or herself, and observe the crime. Um, it's also important for complainants to be willing to give a sworn recorded statement if requested and to remember details and provide details. If, for example, you're, you're, you want to report that a dog is languishing in a backyard in the hot sun with no shelter, a call like that may not get any attention. But if the complainant says, I'd like to meet, you know, two doors down or, you know, the yard behind, and I'll show you. And then the complainant can often point out things that the officer might miss. You know, when I used to teach at the police academy in Broward County, um, I would sometimes illustrate uh, to officers how easy it is to miss things. I would take a piece of, of, of chalk and on a chalkboard, I'd draw a picture of a dog tied to a tree. And then I would ask the, off, the candidates, the officer, uh, officers in training, what's wrong with this picture? And some of them would raise their hand and say, well, the dog doesn't have any water. So I would draw the water bowl. And then I would ask again. And some would say, well, he has no food. So I would draw a food bowl in. And I'd ask again. And there would be blank faces staring back at me. So I would draw raindrops coming down through the tree and some lightning. And the officers, I mean, they just didn't even think about shelter. And many people, including civilians, view a tree as shelter, but it is not shelter. It may provide shade at certain times of the day. It's no protection against lightning. In fact, it can be deadly to be tied to a tree if the tree is struck and you're on the root system. Sure. So a lot of it is people who care about animals and who notice these things can then educate the officer. It's really important to do so respectfully uh, and allow the officer to save face. So, you know, being respectful, ma'am, sir, officer, deputy, whatever, and saying, I'm sure you noticed that the dog has no protection from the elements and being tied to the tree on three feet of rope is not humane and is causing the animal to and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. So a lot of times just pointing things out because most law enforcement officers are good, decent men and women who want to do good in the world. Many of them have animals at home that are part of their family and they have, um, you know, kids of their own, but they don't always recognize stuff. And I know it seems silly to say, and I don't mean to insult my brothers and sisters in law enforcement, but it's just not something they see. It's just like with wildlife. 
you know, so many times people do absolutely the wrong thing uh, in attempting to rescue a wild animal who didn't need rescuing or shouldn't have been handled or um, whatever the case may be. They don't know any better. Their heart is in the right place. Their intentions are good, but they don't always do the right thing. And many uh, law enforcement officers aren't sure what they can and can't do. And they rely on the animal control officer or the humane officer to come out and take over the scene. And I used to chide the officers in training programs. I would say, in what other crime but animal cruelty do you, you know, abdicate your authority to civilians? Right. You're giving up your power to a civilian. You're the one with arrest powers. You're the one with the sidearm. You're the one with the badge with real authority behind it. These are crimes. Treat them as such. And that's sometimes all they need to be reminded of, you know, politely and with guidance, that this is their job and they should be directing the scene and the animal control and humane officers should be providing assistance to them, not vice versa. Right. And also understanding that early intervention may prevent future crimes. Absolutely. You know, Peggy, you are so right. There are so many people out there that have companion animals of different types. And these people don't really understand the physiology and biology of the creatures uh, that they are caring for. Uh, For example, someone who had a bunny rabbit when they were a child gets a bunny rabbit for their child sticks that animal in a cage because that's what they did when they were a kid. And they don't realize not only is that a horrible life for any creature, but that rabbit's teeth, for example, are going to continue to grow throughout that rabbit's lifetime. And without uh, appropriate um, things to chew on, that rabbit's teeth will eventually grow into their upper and lower jaws and eventually into the skull, and they will starve to death with a bowl of food in front of them because they can't open their mouth any longer. You know, people don't know this stuff. So uh, you kind, animal-loving people out there, please make sure you know about the kinds of animals uh, that you have so, so warmly made members of your family. You know, so many people in Florida, they get horses. And they, they put them out to pasture, and they think that horses can live on grass. But in South Florida, grasses, the, the soil doesn't contain the nutrients to support grasses that contain the nutrients to support good health for horses or cattle or other grazing animals. You know, horses and cows are not indigenous to Florida. We're a swamp. And our grasses are not appropriate nutrition so they can get a big old grass belly on them and be uh, dying of malnutrition. So these are the kinds of mistakes that, that even animal lovers make not knowing any better or people following the advice of people who don't really know. I mean, so many people they'll hire, for example, a dog trainer or a horse trainer or someone, and they just turn their animal over to that person unsupervised. Right. And I know there are many very good people out there doing training that are helping animals to keep their homes by guiding the animals into being uh, able to uh, be loved and appreciated in the home instead of dumped somewhere because the animal is a digger or a barker or an escape artist or a biter or whatever the case may be. 
But um, there are also, as in any field, including law enforcement uh, or the judiciary or anywhere else, there are also bad animal trainers. And they will do anything to get results because that's how they get paid. So my advice to people, if they are soliciting help to gentle a horse or to um, help their dog learn manners so that they can live in human society, make sure you always stay with your animal. And if it doesn't look right, challenge it. And if you don't like it, stop it. But don't leave your animals in the hands of others, just as you shouldn't leave your children in the hands of others you don't trust or don't know very well, or a person suffering from disabilities. Um, I know you do a lot of work uh, helping people, you know, elders and others, uh, Peggy, and um, with, you know, looking out for their futures and all of that sort of thing. And it's really important to investigate where you're going to leave mom or dad or grandma or great grandpa. You don't just stick them somewhere with people you don't know and not check up on them. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Before before I forget, and please tell me when you need to take a break, um, if you want, I I do want to tell people how to report and to whom. Um, So should I do that now or do you need to take a break? Go right ahead and do that now. That would be fabulous. Thank you. Um, With regard to animals, as I mentioned earlier, Calling your local Humane Society Animal Control Facility, SPCA, you can certainly make the call there, but know that they may or may not have investigators, and that response may or may not be the same day. Um, With law enforcement, you call the law enforcement agency in whose jurisdiction the crime is occurring. So if you lived in Orlando, Florida, you would call Orlando Police Department. If you lived in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, you would call Fort Lauderdale Police Department, or you would call the sheriff's office of that community if services are being provided by the sheriff's office or, you know, state troopers or whomever is appropriate for your jurisdiction. But it's important because sometimes people will call the agency in whose jurisdiction the complainant resides. But if the animal resides in a different jurisdiction, you need to call that jurisdiction. Um, most of the time, the call will get funneled to the right place. But if possible, ask if the officer could contact the complainant um, en route to the call so that the complainant can explain it to the officer. The officer may or may not be willing because that sometimes requires revealing their personal cell phone numbers, but they can block the calls. But offer to be available to the law enforcement agency. And with regard to children or persons with disabilities or the elderly, you have two wonderful options. Um, the, the folks that look out for children and, um, and other family members from the social services side of things is different from those whom look out for um, the criminal aspect. So I know at least in the state of Florida, it's a dual or joint investigation being conducted by Department of Children and Family Services on the social services side and law enforcement for the criminal side, because it can be two different things. You know, just as some well-intentioned people are passively, unintentionally neglecting their animals because they didn't know about the teeth or they didn't know the horse's hooves need to be trimmed or they didn't realize the bird's beak 
needs to be trimmed and the bird isn't supposed to eat seed, but is in fact supposed to be eating vegetables and fruit and nuts, depending on the species. Those people are um, really not intending any harm. The, the sad reality is the animal suffering or the child or whomever is suffering regardless of the intent of the offender. But with those folks, a little education goes a long way. I bet you there's a lot of people scrambling after this phone call to look up this issue with the rabbits and their teeth or the birds with the beaks or the horses with the hooves. You know, you, you've got to know, you've got to educate yourself. And just a little bit of education is all that's required to correct a situation and for that animal to stay in his or her home. Uh, and the same can be true in many child neglect uh, or, or neglect of the elders, people who don't understand decubitus ulcers, bed sores, and how they're formed and how to prevent them. Um, it's, it's something you can teach people and then the suffering ends and the good care begins. So contacting folks that are knowledgeable, such as the animal control and humane officer people is good because those folks generally know more about animals than do many of the officers who respond. But I'll tell you, many cops really care about animals. And in fact, some of them forget what they know about rules of evidence and search and seizure and, and things like that. They, it all goes out the window because they want to grab the animal and, and uh, take the animal home. You know, right. So there's some really, really good people in law enforcement, but it's good to call both. Um, I, I would say that in most cases, Road Patrol will be the initial responder because that's what Road Patrol does. There are shifts 24 hours a day, and there are zones, and those officers are assigned to those areas, and there should be somebody that's able to respond usually within minutes for a crime in progress and a few more minutes for something that's perhaps not as urgent. Whereas it may take uh, social services or humane officers a little longer to get there because they have many other duties besides responding to calls about crimes. But um, the, the, the most important thing is to be polite, respectful, but persistent and to offer assistance to the officer. For example, if, if the officer goes out on a call about cockfighting and doesn't know anything about that crime and doesn't have any resources uh, to, to confiscate 100 roosters in a cockfighting operation, uh, that officer's going to need some help with those kinds of things. Um, some, someone going out to a pasture of, you know, 10 cows that have no water and are in the hot sun standing on rocks with no shade and no, nothing to graze, the officer doesn't have access probably to a place to which to take those animals if he or she were willing to confiscate. Sure. And then the officers don't even think about removing the victim from jeopardy. That's what really gets me. You, know, you don't have to tell most cops to take a child in jeopardy or a battered adult, you know, in jeopardy, offer that person safety. But they don't even think about taking a person's animal because, well, that's his property. But just as with children, there are laws to protect animals from unnecessary cruelty and harm and cruel death. And the officer is really obligated to remove a victim from jeopardy. Otherwise, the crime continues. So the officer 
is not doing his or her job by leaving a victim in apparent jeopardy. And um, I will also say that when I was in law enforcement, of course, I, I left law enforcement in 2009 to become the executive director of the Wildlife Center, um, you know, about seven years ago, but, and, and ended that. But when I was in law enforcement, if there was one animal that I was concerned about in a household, I would confiscate all the animals in the house. If there was one child that I was concerned about the treatment of, I would remove all children from the home because they're all in jeopardy when you have a perpetrator that takes advantage of those who are weaker or fearful or just have no escape. And um, the, the fact that the perpetrator is being investigated will often incense him or her. And it's usually him, but there are many hers, especially in child abuse. Right. There are many more females in child abuse than, than people are aware. And that's, there's no surprise there. Guess who's taking care of the children most of the time? Right. Um, women are. So, but with uh, animal cruelty and most other violent crimes, the perpetrators are predominantly male and often um, younger people. But these folks need intervention, and they are dangerous to anybody who is vulnerable, human or non-human. So it's really important. For us, it's about the animal and get the animal to safety and get the animal to a future of love and gentleness and happiness. But it's even bigger than that for the ramifications it has for others in the home, other animals and other humans in that, in that home. So it's, it's really important for people to report their concerns, even if they're not sure about what they're seeing. Report and, and then follow up. Ask for a case number. Uh, ask the officer, if, you, if you're able to meet with the officer, ask him or her for a case card with a case number. And w- within a few days, the report should be in the records division. And the complainant should, you know, acquire a copy of the report. And you will find in many, 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 many cases that there is no report because the officer coded the call out and didn't write a report because he or she didn't recognize it as criminal. So therefore there was no obligation to quote, do paper unquote on that call. Um, And do follow up with a supervisor, ask for a Sergeant or a Lieutenant, a captain, a major, you know, go up the chain of command if you can't get help. But um, sometimes complainants are wrong. They are sometimes mistaken. People will sometimes call about, you know, a bone skinny horse. And when the investigation is concluded, you learn that it's a 35-year-old horse that is receiving excellent care, but just can't hold weight, but is on, you know, a, a senior diet and and the vet is out there every month. And they're just you know, allowing the animal to, um, to live his or her life, even if thin, as long as they're eating and are not hungry. You know, the, the choice hasn't been made yet to euthanize. So sometimes people are mistaken, but most of the time, trust your gut and make the call and follow up and be persistent, be tenacious if you have to be, but get the animal or those kids or women or seniors or whomever the help they need. 
Sherry, I don't think I've ever met anyone as knowledgeable or as passionate about this subject as you are. And um, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question that you can pass on if you want to, but um, I wondered if you would comment for our listeners on um, this kind of movement that we have across the nation right now to establish animal abuse registries. Oh, I've been in favor of that for longer than I can remember. Um, that is something that, you know, we have been trying and trying to get uh, crimes against animals into the national registry so that when an officer runs, you know, NCIC uh, um, on, a, on a suspect, that the officer would see the animal cruelty crimes in that history because it speaks volumes about a person. And, I, you know, that's why it's so important for law enforcement professionals and prosecutors uh, and judges to understand this correlation piece. Because if you understand it, you will recognize that very often crimes against animals are the first reported violence and the animals are the first reported victims of violence in the home. And you could save other innocent beings, human and non-human, a heap of suffering and trauma and death if you, if you recognized it and got the intervention into place. Get the victims out of jeopardy, get the, the perpetrators into counseling. And I will tell you this, I don't have a lot of confidence in certain kinds of offenders, sexual offenders, serial sexual offenders, serial murderers, um, many violent offenders. I think they're broken and we can't fix them. But attempting is better than nothing and trying to teach alternate behaviors and making it part of sentencing and part of, of you know, release and, and that sort of thing can make a difference. But I think it's extremely important for animal cruelty records. And, you know, it did start recently with the NCIC um, that these crimes would be reported. But again, it goes back to the very beginning. If you can't get the officer to answer the call, if you can't get the complaint operator to take your call, it keeps referring you to a humane society or an animal control. If they're not sending cops, if cops don't know what to do or cops are not getting the support from their chiefs, from their sheriffs, from their directors, uh, they're not getting support to do their jobs. If the cases aren't being recorded, documented, investigated thoroughly, and assigned to detectives to take them to the degree they need to be investigated, it's all for naught, because it's never going to get into the registry if it's not documented. Right, sure. Well, and documentation so it, is the key. It is, and, and the key is the people that listen to your show. They are the heroes, not the cops, not the humane officers, not the prosecutors, not, not the judges. It's the reporters of these crimes. Sorry, I'm choking up. The, you people listening out there who pick up the phone and call or drive down to the station and demand to be taken seriously on these, on these reports, you're the heroes. You're the reason the madness stops because you stuck your neck out for somebody who can never thank you 
can never send you a note, can never call your boss and tell you what a wonderful, tell your boss what a wonderful person you are, can never send you a reward. You're doing it selflessly and you are making the difference and you're the heroes. Wow. That I don't, I don't know what else we can say about that, Sherry. That was wonderful. And, um, thank you for sharing so passionately your life's work. Um, to protect and to save animals and others, those that are voiceless and defenseless. Um, gosh, you got me all choked up now here too. Um, uh, well, thank you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, it's just, I mean, what we talked about today is, you know, kind of a different twist on most of our weekly shows, but it's such an important topic. And, I know people don't like to talk about or imagine that animal cruelty exists, um, but it most certainly does. And um, as you've said very eloquently, um, it's the beginning of all future forms of violence. And so we are all required, every single one of us, to be an advocate for um, those that cannot advocate on their own behalf. And I agree with you completely. It's not just animals. It's people with disabilities. It's seniors. It's anybody who has lost their ability to, um, you know, direct their own future, basically. And um, I can't thank you enough for sharing this information. Um, we're definitely going to have to have you back on the show because there were a lot of other things that I wanted to talk about that we didn't even get to. And um, uh, I think you're my new hero, Sherry, um, <laughs> because I, I can only imagine the horrors of what you've seen during your career. Um, and without people like yourself who would be willing to go out and um, make a career out of um, prosecuting animal cruelty. Um, I mean, we, we would be less of a society. And so I thank you for that service and your continued advocacy. Well, thank you so much. It's really been my honor to be able to do what I set out to do and to sort of pioneer a, a field of law enforcement that I hope um, others will follow uh, because it, there's nothing more rewarding than taking an innocent victim out of jeopardy and making them whole again and trying to stop future violence so that there are no future victims from that perpetrator. It's extremely rewarding, but you're so right. Um, you know, the, the trauma to your psyche is cumulative and it is a very tough field if you're passionate about animals or kids or any, any other uh, victim of violence. I did want to just say really quickly that um, I do acknowledge, of course, that when we talk about those without voice or power, we're not saying that they don't have a voice. You know, animals as well as humans scream and, 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 try to notify us and try to defend themselves and all of that. But we take that away from them and we don't listen. Animals do tell us and they do show what's happening. And if they had the power to do it, if we hadn't taken their defenses away, if we hadn't confined them and um, subjugated everything about them, they would not be in this situation. But because we have this power, you know, humans do it, but animals do have voice and they use it. 
Um, but what they often don't have is power or choice, and we don't hear them when they cry out. Sure. No, that's so true. And, you know, I, I look around my office from where I'm broadcasting today, and I see two little dogs, you know, sound asleep, perfectly happy and content. And uh, and you just wish that uh, the whole world could be like that and that um, every animal that we ever come into contact with would know nothing but love and kindness in their lifetime um, and that they would have um, human parents that would treat them as, the, you know, as valued members of a loving family. Well, I think that's where you're doing so much good with your pet will uh, situation. You know, so many really good, um, you know, animal caregivers, um, uh, they, they don't think it through and they don't make arrangements for their animals. And animals who lived in this, you know, envelope of love and warmth and kindness and, and excellent care are suddenly lost when their people uh, are hospitalized or, or die and there's no arrangements made for them. It's just tragic because people are so well-intentioned and do everything right in their lifetimes except plan for their own demise. And that's what I love about what you're doing and why I'm so honored to be a member of your advisory board um, is because it's really helping to educate people about making sure that the love and kindness and care continues after we're gone. And, uh, you know, I salute you for that because that has been, you know, long needed. And um, even, you know, in all my years as a cop, um, I mean, I had almost 37 years in law enforcement and so many times we would go into homes where someone had passed away or they're taken out in an ambulance and there's no arrangements for the animals. And sometimes neighbors step up, sometimes they don't, but that isn't a permanent solution. Um, many people, you know, just can't help, but if people would make arrangements and you've made it so easy and so inexpensive for them to do that, um, I just, I really, uh, I'm really proud to be a very small part of your pet will. Well, thank you, because, you know, it just occurred to me as you were talking about this, that maybe um, even though we see ourselves as loving pet parents, that the, the final act of cruelty is not to have a plan for them, um, because they might end up in a shelter or worse, um, euthanized because we didn't have a plan. And, um, and certainly none of us would want that. And I think one of the biggest heartbreaks are stories that I hear where somebody's got a 13, 14, 15, 16 year old pet who has lived, you know, in that lap of luxury. And now suddenly they're abandoned and scared in a shelter environment and, um, may not be adoptable quote unquote, um, because of their age or infirmity. I mean, my little dog, one Mm -hmm. of them that's laying here, she's nearly 16 years old. She's completely deaf. She's losing her hair. And, um, if she wound up in a facility today, um, likely she would be determined to be unadoptable. Um, well, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And some of them don't even get into a shelter because the door gets locked and the pet gets left inside the house and no one comes. Right. 
I mean, animals die in those homes when people are taken to the hospital or the, you know, the ambulance leaves or somebody is murdered or whatever. And they think someone's going to take care of it and nobody does. And animals die in the house because nobody came. Fish, birds, uh, snakes, uh, and certainly dogs and cats and others, rabbits. Nobody even looked for the hamster in the, in the child's room, you know, the, the house gets abandoned because of the crisis that the people are going through and the animals die in there. Mm, it's inexcusable. I, and, and yep. you know, you've made it easy for people to think about it and to plan. Yes, we have tried to do that. So mypetwill.com is an online pet trust creation system that people can use to protect their pets. In the event of a disability, in the event of a death, in the event of a health crisis, um, in the event of any kind of catastrophic event that might come up, it's a it's a smart ID tag that links to an online profile that also provides, just as an ancillary benefit, this pet trust that can protect our pets. So thank you for saying that, Sherry, because um, I was I was really trying to think about how animal cruelty um, really relates to um, estate planning for pets. And, and really, that is, it's the final act of cruelty not to plan for your pets. Absolutely. Very well said. So thank you so much for joining me today. I can't wait to have you back on the show um, so that we can talk about other issues, um, things that you have also experienced in your long career. And um, I can't thank you enough for your service to um, our communities and to our animals. And I hope that everyone will visit uh, mypetwill.com, check out the um, services that we offer for pet owners and lovers everywhere. You can also find us on Facebook at All My Children Wear Fur Coats. You can also find us on Twitter at Kids in Fur Coats, and you can find us everywhere at mypetwill.com. Thank you, Sherry. Have a great day. And um, for those of you who are listening, until there are none, please adopt one. And happy tales. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Pet Will Radio. Visit PetWillRadio.com for updates on shows, links to previous shows, inspirational stories, videos, and more. Until next time, take care.